You are listening to audio from First Baptist Church in Fort Walton Beach. If you would like more resources or to watch our service online, please visit fbcfwb.org. Listen in as Pastor Wade helps us abide in Christ and advance the gospel through the teaching and the proclamation of God's Word. To say the least, I was shocked. I'd enrolled in college, signed up for my first set of courses. And showed up for one of those classes. The college I had attended was loosely affiliated with a mainline denomination. And because of those past affiliations, it was still in the curriculum that in order to graduate, you still had to take an Old Testament and a New Testament class. Required. So I signed up for Old Testament, and I showed up for syllabus day. The professor passed out syllabi and began to walk us through it, and he focused on a particular requirement for the class, and when I saw the requirement, I was shocked. This was in 1994. The requirement of the class was this, when you write a paper, when you refer to God, you must use inclusive language. In other words, you could not refer to God as he, you had to refer to God as he-she. You could not refer to God as him, you'd refer to God as him-her. And you had to write this in all of your papers. Now just understand, I was not a spiritual giant by any means. In fact, the Lord needed to get a hold of my life and help me to grow and take the next step in my spiritual journey. But I was raised in church, and I had some foundation, been taught the Word of God. I had Christian parents, and I read that. And I just knew that when you talk about God, you call God He, Him. Because that's how the Bible refers to God. And so I went to the registrar. I don't know what would happen these days, but I went to the registrar, got put in another Old Testament class taught by a retired military chaplain. He was awesome. And he did not have those same requirements. And I got my Old Testament Credit. I just knew that was a line I could not cross. And I don't even know why I had that resolve when I was an 18-year-old college student. I don't really know where it came from. Again, I was a spiritual giant. I'd never taken any classes on how to prepare me for what I was going to face in college. I didn't know that was coming. I never heard of inclusive language before I got there. So where did that come from? This line I could not cross. I believe it came from growing up hearing the word of God preached and taught. And even when it seemed like I was a 
crazy, rambunctious, energetic kid that wasn't getting anything out of the services or anything out of my Sunday school. God's Word was doing its work in my life. And as I thought back on that moment, I believe that people, parents, church family, were praying for Wade. There I was, four hours away from home, first time on my own, facing things I'd never faced before. And I believe people were praying. And if you and I care about the next generation, in those moments where they are confronted with lines they know they cannot cross, You and I need to be praying for them. I want you to keep that in mind as you look with me in Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3. We'll begin reading in verse 1. This is one of the best known passages in the Bible. Daniel chapter 3. I want to talk to you about the next generation's fiery furnace. You found your place. I want to ask you this morning if you're physically able to please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. There in verse 1, the Bible says, King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth 6 cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Let's pray together this morning. Father in heaven, you are You are glorious. You are majestic. We exult in who you are. We exult, as I read this morning in Psalm 104, we exult, Lord, in your manifold works. Creator, sustainer of the universe. And a redeemer for fallen humanity. You sent your only Son to this earth 
to come and die on the cross, to defeat death through resurrection, so that we might be reconciled to you, so that we might be forgiven and have a relationship with you. And that is good news. Now help, help us to understand today what it means to follow Jesus in this world and what it means to support the next generation as they follow Jesus in this world. And we'll thank you for that grace. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. As we've begun our journey through the book of Daniel, we see the historical context is the Babylonian captivity. God used Babylon as an instrument of judgment against his people. So the Babylonians, under the leadership of King Nebuchadnezzar, came into Judah and Jerusalem, destroyed that city and surrounding areas, killed many people, and took thousands of Jews into captivity back to Babylon. In fact, they took some teenager boys, young men, sharp, strong, bright. And Nebuchadnezzar wanted these boys molded into the image of Babylon. He wanted them trained in the ways of Babylon so they could serve him and be effective in his kingdom. And so we see in chapter 1 that these Hebrew teenagers are taught the literature and language of the Chaldeans. They probably encountered scholars and professors that ridiculed their exclusive belief in the God of the Hebrews. They were probably surrounded by pagan entertainment and exposed to all types of literature. They were even given new names, new Babylonian names that celebrated Babylonian gods. There was immense outward pressure exerted on these young men to conform to the pagan culture. Does that sound familiar? Let me say it again. Immense outward pressure exerted on these young men to conform to the pagan culture. If you don't know this already, you need to clue into this reality. That's what's happening in your kids' lives right now and your grandkids' lives. They are encountering immense pressure to conform to the ways of modern-day Babylon. And as this pressure mounts on Daniel and, and, and uh, Azariah and Hananiah and Mishael, the Hebrew boys, as this happens, it was inevitable that a moment would come when their allegiance to God would conflict with the Babylonian culture. And that's what happens here in chapter 3. There's a line that the Hebrew boys could not cross. Now I want to show you a few things about what's happening here in this chapter. First of all, did you notice as we were reading through verses 1 through 12, there was repetition concerning the fact that Nebuchadnezzar had set up this golden image. Look back with me in verse 1. It says in verse 1, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth 6 cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura. Look in verse 2. Nebuchadnezzar sent to gather satraps, prefects, governors, counselors, treasurers, justices, magistrates, all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar, here it is again, had set up. 
Verse 3 says the same thing. They were gathered for the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Look in verse 5. Verse 5 it says that when the instruments play, you, the people, are commanded to fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar has, here it is again, set up. Look in verse 7. It says, as soon as they heard the instruments, every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, languages fell down, worshiped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had what? Set up. Look in verse 12. He says, these men, these are reports coming from his counselors about the Hebrew boys. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. And then in verse 14, Nebuchadnezzar responds and he says, You do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? So there's this ongoing repetition. This image was set up by Nebuchadnezzar. In other words, it it represented the king. And to fall down and to worship the image was to fall down and worship King Nebuchadnezzar. That's what's happening here in this text. Verse 1, we're told the dimensions of this image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. 90 feet tall, 9 feet wide, all gold. This was an impressive structure. And every time the people in the area, probably within eyeshot of this image... Every time they heard any kind of instrument play, any kind of music, they had to fall down and worship the image. This was a command of the king. Now, the question arises, why did Nebuchadnezzar do this? Some scholars believe this is a reaction to what Daniel had told him in chapter 2. Remember chapter 2, there's the, the story of the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had and the image that he saw in his dream and how Daniel interpreted this dream to him and said, this is a picture of, of your kingdom, but the kingdoms that will come and overthrow you and, and how the kingdoms will progress until a great king comes and establishes his kingdom over all the earth. Maybe something about that dream made Nebuchadnezzar say, I, I want to I exult in my kingdom while it's here. I want to make a big deal about me. So he sets up this golden image. Sinclair Ferguson calls this Nebuchadnezzar's insanely self-centered reaction to Daniel's interpretation. And so, everything's in place. The golden image had been erected. The command had been given. When there's music, you must fall down and worship. And this becomes the moment of truth for three Hebrew boys. Look what it says there in verse 13. He hears that there are three boys who don't fall down and worship the image when they hear the music. It says, Nebuchadnezzar in furious rage commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, those are their Babylonian names, probably used here because that's, how people knew them. He commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. And they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? 
Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, every kind of music to fall down and worship the image that I have made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? This is the moment of truth. It's kind of interesting that he gives them a second chance. He already heard they weren't bowing down. A lot of kings would have just had them killed immediately. But I believe that King Nebuchadnezzar sees the potential in these Hebrew boys. They're bright, they're sharp, they could be instrumental in his kingdom. So he gives them another chance. Hey boys, I've heard you're not worshiping the golden image when the music is played. So I'm going to give you one more shot. We're going to play some music. That's when you fall down and worship this golden image that I have set up. And just understand, if you don't, I'm going to throw you into a fiery furnace. This is the moment of truth. Now this is a relevant passage for our consideration this morning because... You cannot follow Jesus and never be at odds with the world. That's why in 2 Timothy 3.12 the Bible says, All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. If you follow Jesus long enough, eventually you'll come at odds with the ways of this world. We all face situations where we have to conform or be transformed by the Lord. And here's the deal. We've all got to come to terms with the fact that our kids, our grandkids, the next generation will be greatly tested. I hear it from you often. I'm worried about what my grandkids are going to face in this culture. I'm concerned about what my kids are going to encounter in this culture. That concern is there. We know the immense pressure on our kids today. And how that, how that will be ratcheted up in the future. You see, there is a cultural inev- inevitability. Our kids, their allegiance to God, will one day come into conflict with this rapidly decaying culture. As I thought about the fiery furnace, and I thought about preaching this on Mother's Day, I had a thought I'd never had before. And I don't know why I never had this thought before, but I just, it just never entered my mind. Daniel, the other three Hebrew boys, called here Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, snatched from their homeland, taken in captivity to a foreign land where they were forced to learn the ways of Babylon. It never occurred to me that they had family back in Judah. I never thought about that. And we know that they were taught the ways of the Lord, probably under the reforms of King Josiah, the great revival that happened as they rediscovered the Word of God. We know that he was influenced by the preaching of, they were influenced by the preaching of Jeremiah, probably. So they were taught the Word of God. They had families teaching them the Word of God. It never occurred to me that these Hebrew boys probably had family members praying for them. That just never occurred to me. Caring about their kids far off in Babylon. 
they most certainly, I believe, had loved ones praying. So what I want to do is I think about the fiery furnace, this passage, the application for us all in the room. I want to apply it specifically to this Mother's Day. Now I want us to think about how we, how we can pray for our kids and our grandkids. And how we can pray for the next generation coming behind us as they seek to follow Jesus in a rapidly decaying culture. And I've got six answers to the question, how do we pray for our kids? And they come from the text this morning. Number one, how do we pray for our kids in the next generation? Pray for awareness of God's power. Pray for awareness of God's power. Look what it says there in verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the moment of truth, a line they could not cross, worshiping the golden image. They answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, if we do not worship the image when the music plays, and if you throw us in the fiery furnace, if this be so, watch this, our God whom we serve is able. Everyone say able. Everyone say able. Able. He is, thanks for the three that did it the first time. He is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. Wow! These young Hebrew men understood something of the power of God. They were standing before the most powerful ruler on the earth at that time. You can't believe the authority that Nebuchadnezzar had. Snap his fingers and lives were taken They're standing before the most powerful man on the face of the earth at that time. And they're saying, wait a minute, wait a minute. We understand that if we refuse to worship the golden image and if you throw us in the fiery furnace, that God is able to rescue us even from those flames. They had this... This, this awareness of the power of God. And, and if our kids are going to be faithful to Jesus in the coming days and in the coming decades, they need to cling to this reality that our God is able. Our God is omnipotent. Our God is breathtaking power. And they can trust Him with whatever life brings their direction. Even when pressure is exerted for them to conform, and they know it's a line they cannot cross, they can trust that God is overseeing that moment, and God is all-powerful in that moment. As I told you when we began the study of the book of Daniel, we're not in Mayberry anymore in our culture. Amen? We're in Babylon. We're in Babylon. A culture that is opposed to the will and to the ways of God. We live in the same type of culture that that Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego were facing here centuries ago. The same type of culture. The same type of pressure to conform. The same levels of pagan idolatry. 
But if we're going to say that our kids experience the same level of testing that these Hebrew boys experience, we also need to remember that our kids serve the same God that's God here in Daniel. The same, we sang it earlier, the same God that is for them in the book of Daniel, the same all-powerful, omnipotent, majestic God of Daniel is the same God that our kids serve today through Jesus. The same God. So we don't have to wring our hands and worry and think, well, can God help them? Can God come to the rescue? Can God encounter their lives? Can God intervene in tough situations? Yes, He's God. He's God. The same God. We need to pray that our kids will carry with them this awareness of the power of God in their lives. Secondly, pray for knowledge of God's Word. Look what the Bible says there in verse 18. He'll deliver us out of your hand, O king, we believe. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Now, why, are they, why do they feel so strongly about that? Why are they determined that... That they won't worship the Babylonian gods. They won't worship the golden image that represented Nebuchadnezzar. He believed he was a god. Why, why do they feel so strongly? They feel strongly because they knew the Bible. And what they're mentioning here is really they're mentioning the first two of the Ten Commandments. Right? Commandment number one. You have no other gods before me. You'll worship no other gods except the one true God. And they, they say there, we will not serve your gods. Commandment number two in the Ten Commandments. You have no graven images. And they say, we will not worship the golden image that you have set up. These Hebrew boys, probably again influenced by the great revival under King Josiah, these Hebrew boys knew the Bible. And they knew just enough of the Word of God, the Ten Commandments, to know that's a line we cannot cross. We cannot worship the image. We cannot worship your gods. We would be violating the commandments of our God. They knew God's Word. And you and I, as we pray for our kids, our grandkids, Nieces and our nephews, the next generation, the kids here in our church, the ones singing here this morning. As we pray for them, we need to pray that they will go out into the world saturated with Scripture. They would just know the Bible. That they would treasure God's Word. That they would understand the truth. And every time their pressure to conform... And to do the wrong thing, to go the wrong direction, the truth of the Word of God would grip their heart. And they'd say, that's not a line I can cross. My last church, I was at the pastor's reception after a service, and a couple came up to, to talk to me, a young couple. 
And we were, we were just talking. I was asking them some questions. They were visiting our church. And they said very matter-of-factly in that conversation that uh, they weren't married. They hoped to be one day, but they were, they were living together. Now, there was a time you didn't tell the preacher you were living together. There was. It used to be called shacking up. And you'd not, you'd ne- you did not tell the preacher, hey, I'm shacking up. You kept that a secret. And I was a little bit taken aback, right, that they were telling me this. And as I talked to them, two people living together outside of wedlock, as I talked to them, it, it occurred to me, listen to me, they didn't know it was wrong. They had, no, they had no bearing from the Bible to know that that was not correct. That was wrong behavior. That you need to be married before you live together. They didn't get that. They didn't know it. And when I, when I encountered that, that, that biblical ignorance, that lack of understanding, it, it softened my heart towards them. I was like, boy, I, I want to I help you. I want to encourage you. And let's talk. And we're glad you're coming. Keep coming to church. And we want you to learn about God's plan for your life and, and, and how he wants to work if he brings you together in marriage. And, 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 and it just changed my perspective. And it, and it kind of blew me away that day. And it was kind of a wake-up call for me that 40 years ago, people would never tell the preacher they're shacking up. But on that day... They had no moral perspective to say, that's not right. They would just tell the preacher. We don't want our kids living there, do we? We don't want our kids and grandkids ignorant of what the Bible says. About a whole host of issues. So they'll have a framework through which to make right decisions... When they're pressured to go the way of the world. I'm telling you something as simple as these kids just reading, quoting scripture this morning. That's a big deal. It's a big deal. Them being in Sunday school and children's church, hearing the word of God, it's a big deal. You gathering together in your home and reading the Bible, it's a big deal. You can't, you can't imagine the difference it will make in their life. When they least expect it, that truth will surface in their heart and guide them to make the right decision. So pray for knowledge of God's word. Number three, pray that they would trust him, trust the Lord no matter the circumstances. Look in verse 18. Verse 18. They say in verse 17, our God's able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. He'll deliver us out of your hand, O king. But look in verse 18. This is interesting. But if not, if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Isn't it interesting that there's no presumption on the part of the Hebrew boys? We know God's able. We know God can can save us from the fiery furnace. We know God can deliver us. You're a king, Nebuchadnezzar, but we serve the king of kings. No doubt in our minds, but we also understand that God is God. He's sovereign. He works out his purposes in different ways. So even if he doesn't deliver us, we're still going to be faithful. 
We're still going to worship him. We're still going to do the right thing. Because, listen, our worship is not based upon circumstances. And that is a very important truth for the next generation to learn. Amen? There are times in life where things are good. There are times in life when things are hard. There are mountaintops and there are valleys. There are times when you see God's hand at work and God intricately working in and through your life. There are times when God seems distant. But the truth is this. God is worthy of our worship and praise no matter the circumstances. Whether he comes through in the way you think he ought to come through or whether things go in a direction different than the one you anticipated or asked for, God is worthy. No presumption on the part of the three Hebrew boys. It reminds me of Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews 11, you have the Hebrews Hall of Faith. And the end of that list of different champions of faith says there were some who shut the mouths of lions. Reference to Daniel. We'll talk about that in Daniel chapter 6. Daniel in the lion's den. It says there were some that quenched the fires. Probably referring to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They weren't burned by the fiery furnace. Spoiler alert, we'll get to that in a minute. And it mentions these great people of faith that saw miraculous supernatural deliverance. And if it stopped right there, we'd say, yes, God always comes through, just like we think he ought to. But it continues to to describe a different group of people in Hebrews 11. It describes those who were stoned as they faithfully followed the Lord. It describes those who were flogged for faithfully following the Lord. It describes A person being sawn in half, probably Isaiah, for faithfully following the Lord. So which is it, Pastor Wade? When I'm in a tough situation, when the pressure is on, is God going to shut the mouths of lions and deliver me through the fire? Or am I going to get burned? Am I going to get flogged? Am I going to get sawn into which is it? And the answer is, it's all in God's hands. He's sovereign. And no matter what comes, no matter how God works, we need to pray for ourselves and pray for our kids that we would worship Him because He's worthy and He's sovereign. And we can trust Him no matter the circumstances. Which leads to number four. Pray for courageous resolve. Look in verse 18. But if not, be it known to you, O king, we will not serve your gods. That's definitive, isn't it? Not, hey, give us a moment to think about it. We we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. They draw a line in the sand and they say, this is a line that we cannot cross. And then look what happens in verse 19. Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury. And look at the extent of this fury. The expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, 
Meshach and Abednego, he ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. In other words, you think your God's going to protect you? I'll just make the fire hotter. And he's furious at their resolve. Now, I want to just make two quick um, observations about the courageous resolve of these boys. And these are both very, very important. Number one, resolve must be in place before the test. Verse 16, it says, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. In other words, we don't have to think about it. We don't don't need a day to go home and pray over it. We've already made up our mind that we will not bow down and worship this golden image. We will not worship your gods. We're not going to do it. We've already made the decision. The decision has been made. Now we're ready with the help of God to face the consequences. You see, resolve must be in place before the test. I I, I can tell you this. If they had not made up their mind before this moment, they're going to try to figure it out in the moment, and they see that fire burning, and they see this powerful king before them, and they think all we've got to do is just fall down and, and, and go through the motion of worship of this image, and we can be saved from death. If they had waited for that moment to figure it out, they would have, they would have caved under the pressure. But they had already made up their mind. We need to pray that our kids will have their minds made up about lines they cannot and will not cross before the moment comes. We need to equip them and teach them what that looks like. Secondly, resolve calls for courage in light of its consequences. They knew if we don't worship, we will be thrown in the fiery furnace. But they had courageous resolve. Let's pray that the next generation that we have influence with here in this church and our families, that when the moment of testing comes, their minds will already have been made up. Abraham Lincoln famously said, it is best not to swap horses while crossing the stream. Let's pray that when the raging waters of immense, idolatrous pressure come, they would not switch horses. They would stay faithful to Jesus. Number five, pray they know his presence. Pray they know his presence. Look in verse 19 very quickly. He was filled with rage. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. He ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, cast them into the burning furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, their other garments. They were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Look in verse 22. Because the king's order was urgent, the furnace overheated. The flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's so hot, the people throwing the boys into the fire were consumed by the heat. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. That's it, right? That's it for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're done. They're tied up and thrown into a fire. It's over. Look in the next verse. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, true, O king, he answered and said, but I see four men unbound. They're not bound anymore. They've been set loose of their their 
of their uh, binding. They're walking in the midst of the fire. They are not hurt. The appearance of a fourth is like a son of the gods. What's happening here? God supernaturally intervenes in the situation. And he protects them from the fire. And this this supernatural intervention is so dramatic that his presence is manifested. These three boys see a fourth in the fire with them. Even the pagan king, Nebuchadnezzar, he's almost like he's looking and rubbing his eyes and looking again. We threw in three, but now there's four and they're walking around. Nebuchadnezzar saw in these Hebrew boys experienced the unfailing presence of God, preserving them through the fire. Now, I want you to hear me very carefully. As we pray for our kids, God may manifest his presence in very dramatic ways when they find themselves in a moment of testing. He can do that. God's manifest his presence in my life in in critical times. You may have experienced that as well. He made his presence felt, made his presence known. But whether or not it's as dramatic as Daniel chapter 3, Jesus, listen, has promised his presence. There's nothing that our kids as Christ followers will face apart from Christ. Over in Hebrews chapter 13, verses 5 and 6, Jesus says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? In Matthew 28, 20, Jesus said as he gives the great commission, I am with you always, even into the end of the age. Like what the Bible says in 1 Peter 4, 12 through 14. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial. As you follow Christ, you're going to come into some some difficult situations. You're going to come into some fiery furnaces. Don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Why? Because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. In other words, listen to me, especially young people. If you are insulted for following Jesus, there is blessing in that moment because you will experience the presence of God in a way you would not experience it had you not gone through the testing. There's a special closeness you feel when Jesus stands with you in the fire. And we want to pray that our kids would know his presence. They would would cling to his presence. They would trust these promises that no matter what they're facing, Jesus is with them. Over in 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul talks about a man named Alexander the coppersmith who opposed him. We don't know exactly what happened, but Alexander was opposed to Paul in the gospel. And Paul says, at my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. Paul's saying, I was all alone facing these attacks from this ungodly man. But then he goes on to say, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. Listen to me. This is for everyone in the room. As you follow Jesus wherever he leads, 
on the authority of Scripture, you are never alone. It may feel like it. You may be abandoned by every other person in your life, but you're never alone because Jesus promised He would be with you. Which leads to number six. How can we pray for our kids? How can we pray for our grandkids? How can we pray for the next generation? Pray for awareness of God's power. Pray for knowledge of God's word. Pray they would trust him no matter the circumstances. Pray for courageous resolve. Pray they would know his presence. But six and last, pray they will change the world. Look at the rest of the story there in verse 26. Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God. Notice he's calling their God the Most High God. Come out and come here. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire, and the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the king's counselors gathered together, saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads were not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree. This is Nebuchadnezzar talking. Any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb. Their houses laid in ruins, for there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. What's happening here? Everyone watching this story unfold walk away with a greater respect for the God of these young Hebrew boys. Most high, don't don't disrespect him. Don't speak against this God. This God is obviously powerful because we've seen him at work in these young men's lives. Now, Nebuchadnezzar still had a a ways to go. We're going to see in chapter 4, God had to really humble Nebuchadnezzar. But right here, we see that that things begin to change in terms of what he thinks about the one true God. God uses these young men to represent himself and to show his power And things begin to change in a pagan kingdom? Can that happen? Can God use the lives of the young people in this church to change things in this culture? Daniel says, oh, he can. He can. Let's pray that our kids would change the world. For the glory of King Jesus. As they draw some lines in the sand and say, I cannot cross that line. And be faithful to my Lord. And faithful to my Savior. It's not going to be easy. In fact, the majority give in to the pressure. But I believe that. If we'll really make this a focus of prayer, God will raise up some Daniels and some Hananiahs and Azariahs and Mishaels that will be faithful to God even when facing the fire. So on this Mother's Day, let Daniel chapter 3, the famous fiery furnace 
passage. Let it, let it call us to pray. Thank you for listening. We pray you've been encouraged and inspired by God's word. May the Lord richly bless you.